of the Susan Powell case with your lovely ladies here at Murder They Spoke. I want to introduce myself, but then I'm like, okay, by now you should just know who we are. Yeah. Well, you can if you want. We want to have new people. I'm Miranda. I have the gravelly voice. (laughs) I don't think I have a gravelly voice in real life, but then I hear it in our recordings when I listen to our episodes and I feel like I have a lower registered voice than y'all on recording. I don't know. Well, yeah, because I sound like a five-year-old child and I'm <laughs> Ellen. So. Oh my gosh. I just sound obnoxious. So. <laughs> you sound like somebody who watches the bachelor. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> that yes. is true. Man. Chandler do likes her also, trashy TV. You I also do talk the trashy. least. So yeah. That's you're the, you're the most soft-spoken of the group, too. When I want to be. Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, I'm making well, myself a milkshake as my snack tonight. <laughs> in case anyone didn't know, one of Chandler's favorite foods are milkshakes. So you are just correct. imagine yourself having a milkshake with Chandler while you listen to part two of Ellen's Case. I want a milkshake. I'm actually not eating anything. We started late yesterday. I had a whole bowl of popcorn. I had several brownies. <laughs> Last night I splurged, but today I've already brushed my teeth. I'm in my comfies. I'm ready to listen. Uh, okay. Well, let's get into it because um, I mean it's not super. It might not be super long tonight, but we have a lot to cover. Um, just to remind everybody, because we're doing this the next week, so it's going to be a whole week in between the two episodes, we talked about how um, Susan's sons never showed up for daycare, um, their family went to the house, nobody was there, Josh finally came home, he was questioned by the police, we talked about their families, we talked about the investigation a little bit, Um how Josh kind of just didn't really care or he didn't act like he cared. Um, we talked about what his son said to the investigator that their mom actually did go camping with them and that she stayed there. And um, we talked about how Josh was pretty abusive to his family, um, not maybe physically, but emotionally, um, that we know of emotionally, maybe more. We don't really know. So, And Josh's dad is a creep. And Josh is as a creep. And that's actually what we're going to start with. I wanted to talk to you more in depth about Steve Powell because he is such a freaking weirdo. And I just, it makes me want to claw my eyes out. So let's get started. So just for t- reference, this is now a woman who's been married to your son and has two children with your son. And you are obsessed with her and claiming that she's in love with you. Yes, he's obsessed with her. He's super creepy. So, (sighs) as I mentioned before, he was super troubled, super weird, like, just nasty man. His wife left him because he was obsessed with other women. He wrote about it in his journals, and she found them. So she's like, yeah, I'm out here. Um, His son and daughter-in-law, Josh and Susan Powell, left Washington to get away from him because he made inappropriate advances towards Susan. He was absolutely obsessed with her. He would follow her around recording her through the house. He would follow her to work where she didn't know he was recording her out, where she would be walking out of work. Um, And he would record her walking out to her car and everything. It was just really, really gross. And 
his oldest daughter, Jennifer, she kind of, like, distanced herself from the rest of the family because she's, like, the normal one. She and Susan were close. Jennifer said of her dad, quote, he just wanted to do what he wants to do, and it didn't matter if it was good for anyone else or even himself. My father didn't genuinely love us. When you love someone, you desire their continual growth and spiritual development, and he didn't. That's so sad. That is very sad. For your own daughter to be saying that. To be like, my dad just did not love us. He didn't. He pitted them against, he tried to get them to go against each other, like fight in the house and everything. Like just really dysfunctional family. Um, So Steve obviously recorded Susan a ton, but he also filmed himself just as much. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. There were home videos of him just like posing in the mirror, like looking at himself. <laughs> yeah, and he would like have this creepy little grin on his face. There were videos of him talking about how aroused he was because Susan was like there. Oh, great. yeah, like he was filming her one time through a window and she had bent over to pick something up. And he goes, I am just so turned on right now. Look at there, Susan. I'm so oh. turned on. It was disgusting. He, I showed Jeremy videos of like videos he had taken and he was like what the heck <laughs> i was like yo you don't even know it's so nasty um Ugh. and then there were just like videos that he took of himself of just talking about nothing because he just liked to hear himself talk he's one of those people and he's just like super creepy he makes my skin crawl i just want to exfoliate right now well, well we learned where josh got it from didn't we yeah learn last week that josh talked all the time just because he wanted to hear himself talk yeah he knew everything exactly we learned where he got it from yeah so in the 10 years that he knew susan steve wrote 17 journals filled with his sexual fantasies about her that's disgusting i know he wrote a ton of super creepy love songs about her and i i i i can't even tell you how nasty you mentioned how when him and Terry got divorced, it was because he had written obsessive stuff about women that they knew. Mm-hmm. So, we, I mean, 17 journals is a lot, but I mean, yeah. was, it, was he only obsessed with her at that moment or was did he also have journals of other women at the time or was his full attention on I think it was her. her. He didn't have time for anybody else at that point. Wow. So, by January 6th of 2010, um, friends of the Powells and Josh's brother, Michael, they all go down to the house on Sarah Circle where Josh and Susan lived with their kids. And at this point, Susan's disappeared. She has been gone for about a month. And they all help Josh pack up his house so that he can move with him himself. He can move with his sons to Washington to live with his dad. Ugh. Yeah. So all this time, the police are doing all these volunteer, and all these volunteers are doing huge searches for Susan. They looked in the desert. They looked in abandoned mine shafts. They searched the mountains, and not once did Josh participate in a single search. Whoa. Yeah. And actually, at a Christmas party, like a year or two before that, someone had heard him say, you know, if I was going to make a body disappear, I would just throw him in the mine shaft. Like, that's where you can't find. Like, if you want somebody to disappear, that's where you put them. It's like, what? Red flag, red flag, red flag. Yeah. They told the police that, too. And the police were like, oh, okay, good info. It's like, why haven't you arrested this guy? Seriously. So, yeah. So, by August 25th of 2010, the West Valley City Police Department 
have spent 6,850 hours searching for Susan. And they've spent more than $150,000 on the searches. And five out of the 28 detectives in the police department are working full-time just on Susan's case. Like, they're fully dedicated to this. And he couldn't, and Josh couldn't give a crap. He just moves. Wow. So while the police and volunteers are devoting all their time looking for Susan, Josh and Steve are spending their time trying to tear her down. So they had found all of Susan's journals from like when she was a teenager and when she was an adult. And I bet they didn't like what they read because she wrote a lot about how disgusted she was with Steve, how much she hated him, how disappointed she was with her marriage and like she wanted to leave and everything. Um, But they threatened, Steve and Josh threatened to publish the journals to prove that she ran away with somebody. Threaten who? Like, who are they threatening to publish them if she's gone? Yeah, exactly. To her family. They're like, they're just trying to discredit her. And so like, they oh, even I went. I couldn't kill her. Look at this journal. She's so unhappy. She must have left on her own in the middle exactly. of the night. Yeah. They even went so far as to accuse Chuck, her father, of sexually abusing her when she was a child, which is absolutely untrue. Wow. So a year to the day that anyone last saw Susan, Josh and Steve decided that they were going to come up with a story that alleged that Susan ran away with another guy from Utah that was also a missing person, and his name was Stephen Kocher. And they claimed that Susan and Stephen ran away together to be in to like move to Brazil because that's where he'd gone on his two year mission, and they were now married and they had started a new life and had their own kids, which was like where like no, that's not. <laughs> No, there's no proof of that at all that they even knew each other. So okay, Josh that is such a red flag too though that like instead of being upset and trying to look for your wife, you're just like angry and you're trying to make all these excuses for why she's gone. Absolutely. So Josh created a website that he used to drag Susan's name through the mud and I actually found oh, it. That's yeah, I I found it and he like talks himself up so hard and he's like, Susan was so troubled and blah, blah, blah. It's like, really? So then on Mother's Day in 2010, it was either him or somebody in his family. They wrote this. Happy Mother's Day, Susan. You are the beloved mother, beloved mother of two beautiful boys who remember you and miss you. We all hope you will come home soon. The boys love plants and gardening just like you, so they planted flowers for your honor on Mother's Day. We hope you like the pictures and are thinking about us as much as we're thinking about you. So they're pretending that she's alive and just somewhere else. Yeah, they're acting like she ran away. So through the website, he also accused her. He called her a slut. He said that she was sexually motivated and ran away with her boyfriend and that she had a mental imbalance. And when Susan's dad saw the post about Mother's Day, he was pissed. He said to he was he said to his wife, if Susan could come home, she would. Like this whole time, they're like, we know that Josh did something to her. We know she's gone. So they, in no way, thought she ran away. They pretty much knew she was dead. Yeah, they they were like they're like we know. So the whole time Susan's missing, Steve was still obsessed with her, and he was still convinced that she was into him as well. And I just like. As if. Gross. But hold on to your butts because it's about to get wild. If he is still obsessed with her, do you think 
he didn't know what Josh did. We'll get into that. Okay. I'd be curious because, like, if Josh confided in his dad about what he did, I assume he wouldn't be obsessed with her anymore. But mm-hmm. that's um, Okay. Yeah, so we'll get into that. So, August 25th, 2011. It's been another year. 13 West Valley City Police officers and 10 Pierce County Sheriff's deputies, and that's up in Puyallup, Washington. They arrived at Steve's home with a search warrant. Um, they were looking for anything that could tell them what had happened to Susan because that's where Josh lived at the time. So they're just, they were just looking at, they were, they were there because Josh lived there, but they looked through the whole house because they had to. So the, that morning the judge signed that search warrant saying it was quote, very reasonable to infer that Josh and Steve discussed the disappearance of Susan. Mm. So when Josh answered the door, he was patted down. He was instructed to have a seat on the lawn and you know, so the big boys could do their job. And since he had no interest in helping them at all, right? So an officer was actually assigned to sit outside with Josh, his brother Johnny, his sister Alina, and then Charlie and Brayden, the two boys. And this officer noticed that the two little boys were just, like, starved for attention. He commented that the kids were just so thrilled to have the officer to talk to and play with them. And, like, he would play catch with them. He, like, talk to them about bugs they've like cut they were catching bugs out in the yard and charlie and brayden at one point told josh that they were hungry and he just ignored them because he was too busy reading the search warrant and the officer ordered them a pizza because they were just hungry and he said quote charlie seemed particularly anxious and worried and had one eye on his father brayden didn't interact with any of his family members the officer wrote not his father, not his uncle, not his aunt. That's so sad. It's so sad. Like, he so, just... at this point, they are six and four? Yes. It's been two years since 2011, yes. Yeah, so, six and four, yeah. That's so sad. Yeah, so when the search was over, the investigators came away with laptops, computer towers, cameras, boxes of photos, ten years worth of Steve's writing about Susan... Divorce documents from Steve and his wife, Terry, financial records, CDs, flash drives, documents from Josh's room, and then they found Steve's secret cabinet. Oh. Buckle in. Oh, no. It's not like Fifty Shades of Grey, is it? Oh, no. I was joking. Tell us, tell us, tell us. In this cabinet. I can't. It is so much. In this cabinet, they found Ziploc baggies of hair. Oh, no. Women's underwear. Photos of Susan. All kinds of photos of her. 15 desktop and laptop computers. Video of two minor young girls using the bathroom and taking baths without their knowledge. CDs, flash drives, video cassettes, a DVR, packets of photographs, CDs that were encrypted, so they couldn't even look at them, multiple notebooks, hard drives, three-ring binders full of stuff, a box of Steve journals, photo albums, and used tampons that he saved from the trash after Susan had thrown them away. Oh, no. Oh, my God. There should have been a disclaimer before I made my milkshake. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. There's pictures. I'll post pictures of what they found. There are pictures of her stuff in like in bags that he oh had just my. kept. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So a few weeks later, Steve was arrested because oh, he was in possession of child pornography. They also charged him with 14 counts of voyeurism, which is filming somebody without their knowledge in a compromising situation. Like, he would film Susan getting dressed and, like, trying to take showers and stuff. Okay, I just want to say something. Yeah. 15 laptops. That's so many laptops. That's so many laptops. Like, I know that's not the point of everything that you just said, but my mind glosses over everything and focuses on the fact that he had... 15 laptops just could, in that secret cabinet, not including others that were probably in the house to be used for like normal, hopefully normal stuff. But yeah. you have 15 laptops. He, he just filled up the hard drives with Susan. That's, that's what I was going to wonder. Like, did, did you just run out of room? You had to get another one? Yeah. Oh. Um. So I don't see how you couldn't be stuck on the fact that he had used tampons in baggies that's what i'm stuck on i'm just picturing and the smell they're in bags that's nasty it's so gross that is nasty bro so because josh and the boys lived with steve and steve was caught with child pornography Charlie and Brayden were taken into protective custody and placed Good. in foster care. Good. I mean, and, I hate that they're in foster care, but that's probably a better situation than what they were in. Yeah. So one of the officers that took them from the house was the one that played with them in the backyard during the search. And he said that Charlie and Brayden were so happy to see him. They ran into his arms and they told him they loved him. Oh, my God. I know. And Josh didn't even bother going outside to say bye to his kids. He stayed in the house. Oh, my gosh. People like that deserve to get shot. Yeah, he deserved a lot more than that. Um, So now I want to talk about Josh's brother, Mike. Okay. Does he have a secret cabinet? (laughs) (laughs) So Mike was was the brother that went with Alina, the sister, down to Washington when Sousa disappeared. They went down to help Josh take care of the kids. Um, so they had, so like on his way back to Washington with his sister after the, like on their way back after Susan was gone, Mike and his sister had driven just about 400 miles from West Sarah Circle, his house, when Mike's car broke down. It was a breakdown that was fixable. Why are you looking at me like that? 400 miles. Yeah. Didn't we just, didn't we real, didn't they say that Mm -hmm. when... Josh rented his car. He went 806 miles. So Yeah, 806 or 813, something like that. So this was a fixable breakdown, and it wouldn't have cost that much. But instead of getting his car fixed, he had it towed 100 miles to a salvage yard with the explicit direction that it should be destroyed. He wanted them to demolish the car. That's sketchy. Yeah, uh-huh. the book. so in the book that I read... If I can't have you, it said a detective was at Boulder, a Boulder, Colorado imaging company just happened to be there when Mike happened to call wanting to buy a high resolution satellite image of the salvage yard so he could see whether his car had been cut up and sold into pieces as he had hoped it had been. It was the first police knew about Mike abandoning his car in December. 
like the same month that Susan disappeared, within days, they rushed to Pendleton Argument, Argument, <laughs> Oregon. The car had been stripped of some parts, including the right front passenger door, taillights, and steering components. They brought in a cadaver dog that intensely searched the back of the vehicle and then indicated a positive hit for the scent of a body in the trunk. Of Josh's brother's car? Josh's brother's car. The car was then sealed in plastic by police, towed to a holding facility, and later processed by a forensic unit. Mike didn't learn until later that the police had his car. So, when police interviewed him about the car a few days later after his father was arrested, he denied having anything to do with Susan's disappearance, and he said he was home in Puyallup, 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 Puyallup. There, that's it. Puyallup. <laughs> I can't have a hard time saying that in a word. So he was home in Puyallup on the day she went missing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. When they asked him about his 1997 Ford Taurus that he had abandoned at a salvage yard, he tripped over his words. And he was like, oh, he lied about where he'd broken down until the police told him that they had had that they had it. And the cadaver dog alerted on his trunk. So Deputy Chief Phil Quinlan said that during the conversation, Mike was terrified. And that's the last you hear about Mike and his car. That's it. That's all they did was interview him about it. Nothing so happened there's- Positive proof that there was a body in the trunk, mm-hmm. and that's as far as it goes? There was no DNA. Susan's DNA wasn't in the trunk. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. I mean, not a question, more of a thought. If we're implying that Susan's body was in his trunk, why do you think Josh was cleaning out his because I think Josh killed her and had her in his van and then I think I think when when he called Mike to come down after Susan disappeared I think Mike either Mike either moved the body like on his way down or he and Alina moved it on the way back to Washington oh so you think that like Josh killed her I think they took her the body. body with them when they went quote unquote camping yeah left it somewhere and then when they came down to help out a few days later, they moved. They really in. helped out, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So now we're going to get into, like, this, the I feel like is the most disturbing part of this whole case. Okay. And and that's saying a lot because this whole, case, <laughs> this whole case has been really disturbing. So since Steve was arrested for possessing child pornography and, vo- and for the voyeurism charges and the kids were taken away, Josh had to earn back his parenting privileges. And prove that he wasn't into the same things as Steve because they were in the house. Like, they don't know whose exactly it was. He could have been Mm -hmm. doing that, too. So, during the first hearing addressing the temporary custody of the kids, um, Assistant Attorney General John Long expressed his concerns about the living conditions at the Powell home. He gave examples like the sexually violent art hanging in his brother Johnny's bedroom. It was a picture. It was, like, art of a woman that had, like, a sword going through her vagina. And he had, like, a a noose hanging on his wall. And the fact that Johnny walked around the house naked or wearing a diaper. Now, Johnny was mentally ill. I don't know exactly what 
he had, but he was a grown adult. Like, they weren't really taking care of him well enough to where they were like, you know, you're 30 something years old. You don't need to be wearing a diaper. So they weren't really, but still, you know, that's weird. So Josh was also closely examined by CPS and he was given a psychological exam. And during the interview, he said that he never intentionally hurt Susan. He hadn't experienced any depression or anxiety in the past year. But then he also contradicted himself, saying that the media attention was stressing him out. And they were like, well, are you into photography like your dad is? And he's like, well, yeah. Like, you know, when I'm out in public, I take pictures of people's legs. But don't worry, I don't take pictures of their faces. It's just their legs. That's creepy. That's so weird. Yeah. So the judge was like, yeah, you're weird. And he ruled that Charlie and Brayden would live with Chuck and Judy Cox until Josh could be firm if they were examined by other professionals. So they, the little boys, went to live with their grandparents. And Ch- Oh, 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 the grandparents. Yes. For a second, I thought it was the brother and sister, and I was like, that's not no, no, my no. brother. Susan's okay, parents. So good, 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 good. So the thing is, is Chuck and Judy noticed right away that the boys were, like, super violent with each other. They were really wild. They were really mean. They said hateful things to each other and other people. And Chuck had even caught Brayden holding Charlie underwater in a headlock in the bath. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There was another night when Chuck went in to check on the boys and they had completely stripped down naked and were running around their room. And Chuck was like, hey, who told you guys it was okay to be naked? Like, who taught you that? And they were like, daddy. They also learned, Chuck and Judy also learned and found out that the boys slept naked in Josh's bed with Josh naked as well. Oh, no. Yeah. They were absolutely molested. Oh, for sure. And in the days after Steve's arrest, Brayden was seen by a doctor for for a sexual abuse consultation. And in the notes, the doctor said that Brayden's greatest fear was the dark, but he also had a rash called molluscum contagiosum which was a wart-like rash. The doctor determined that sexual abuse couldn't be ruled out, and the rash was also found, like, under his arms. So, molluscum contagiosum is a viral infection that causes a rash, common in children 1 to 12, and is considered to be a benign venereal disease and is highly contagious when people live in close quarters or sleep naked with their kids. So the virus can be transmitted from skin-to-skin contact, touching items like bedding or towels that, you know, like you've touched with the virus on them or from sexual contact. So it doesn't necessarily mean that he touched them and gave it to them, like, sexual assault-wise, but if they're sleeping with him in his sheets and he has it in his in his sheets then they could have gotten it that way yes but they couldn't rule out the fact that they were like yeah "Mm, this is a little sketch so the boys were like yeah the boys can behavior that was like completely out of control they couldn't sit still they like broke things on purpose they ran around screaming and hitting each other they have like wild animals and honestly it sounds like my kids right now so i'm like man what's i'm a bad parent (laughs) (laughs) So one day in the car, Charlie had said, Chuck Cox is a bad person. And Chuck goes, well, my name's Chuck Cox. Am I a bad person? And Charlie sat there for a minute and before he said, well, why don't you change your name? Then you won't be Chuck Cox because Chuck Cox is a bad person. So clearly he's hearing these things from. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And and they were also constantly saying stuff like the Mormons killed my mommy 
and I hate them because they killed my mom. And they also do pictures depicting violence and what seem to be dead people. These are like four and six year olds. Yeah. <sighs> That's yeah. not good. No, it's all not. that right there is learned behavior. Yes, it is. And so on December 9th, 2011, this was two years after Susan disappeared, almost to the day, Josh was given a psychological evaluation by Dr. James Manley, in which Dr. Manley stated, quote, after interviewing Mr. Powell and observing him interact with his two sons, there is nothing to suggest that Mr. Powell does not have the intellect, skill, or practice to safely and adequately parent his two sons. And with that, Josh was given supervised visits with his kids. Even even though the judge was aware that Josh was a person of interest in his wife's disappearance. That's odd. Yeah. So while he declared Josh competent to be with his kids, Dr. Manley diagnosed Josh with adjustment disorder, with anxiety, and narcissistic personality disorder. Big Mm. surprise. So Dr. Manley was able to pick up on that, but he didn't catch it. When Josh lied about knowing that his dad was sexually obsessed with Susan, he denied sexually abusing his sister when she was little. He denied his suicide attempt as a teenager, and he denied having a criminal record, but finally admitted he had been in juvie for theft as a teenager. And he also said that he had no clue his dad had that huge collection of porn in his house. He's talking out of his butt. Mm-hmm. So then Dr. Manley asked Josh about the... Uh, cartoon images of child pornography found on his computer his own personal computer josh's computer Mm. josh shrugged it off like it was no big deal so he scored low on the abuse scale because he denied being stressed depressed or unhappy and it was concluded that he was a low risk for abusing his kids uh okay sure (laughs) yeah i don't believe that at all and he was a manipulative person so like Anyway, so since that determination, Josh was granted visitation with Charlie and Brayden, but only in a setting away from Steve Powell's home, even though Steve was in jail. So Josh went and rented his own house. Unfortunately, the police in West Valley City and Puyallup were never informed that the visits were moved to Josh's new house, and the West Valley City Police Department never told Child Services that Josh was the main suspect in his wife's disappearance. There's a lack of communication everywhere. Yeah. Well, it's a different state, too. So, yeah. So during the first few months of visitations with his kids, Josh was like a new person. He was super informative, super educational. He took an interest in his kids for like the first time ever. And Dr. Manley also observed that Josh was really rigid and overly controlling with the kids. He said that Josh, quote, tends to offer a high degree to his son's and his son's interactions. At times, his interaction style seems forced or staged. He seems to be trying too hard. Whether this is Mr. Powell's baseline parenting style or is due to his present high degree of stress is unclear. So the social worker that supervised the visits, her name was Elizabeth Griffin Hall, and she took notice that Josh was the kind of person that never relaxed. At every visit, there was this elaborately planned surprise that he had for the kids, and it was blatantly elaborate. It was a blatantly elaborate show of his prowess as a man and a father. Like, oh, I am going to teach you how to do this, and you're going to know this. And so then Elizabeth Griffin Hall felt that Josh had planned 
these things to impress her and the court in order to get custody back of his kids. So the therapist, Dr. Manley, was a sexual deviancy therapist. So he was responsible for looking at the cartoon pornography photos from Josh's computer. And the photos depicted popular cartoon characters like The Simpsons, like kids stuff, in just about every sexual activity you could possibly think of. And I did not look this up because I was like, I don't want to see this. Not that you'd want to think about it, but anything you can think of, that's what they were doing. There were also cartoon drawings of children in compromising positions with cartoon adults. Oh, no. Yeah. Technically, these weren't pictures of child pornography because they were cartoons. But Dr. Manley said that it suggested an approval of sex between an adult and a minor. And he recommended that Josh undergo a psychosexual exam and a polygraph test. So it seemed like the walls were just, like, closing in on Josh, and he could just, like, feel it happening. And at the next child custody hearing on February 1st of 2012, Josh fully expected to take his kids home with them by the end of the day. He's like, I'm going to pass the flying colors. Everything's going to be fine. But then Josh learned that Dr. Manley wanted the various tests done and that he wouldn't be able to take Charlie and Brayden home until and if he passed the test. So this meant that Charlie and Brayden were now seven and five years old. They would remain with Chuck and Judy, and Josh hated Chuck and Judy. And honestly, this is probably the first time, even with Susan in the home, that they had been in a stable yeah. home environment in their entire lives. Because Susan was stable, but Josh wasn't. And so, yeah, so it made like, things hard. That. Yeah. So the type of psychosexual exam that Josh was being required to undergo was called a penile plethysmograph. So it was an exam that measured the blood flow to the penis when the subject was shown explicit photos. Oh. Yeah, so it will wow. be, they never heard they're of this not gonna, There ain't no lying on this test. Ain't no lies. <laughs> your body, your biology is going to yeah. betray yeah. you on this. Okay, so, sorry. Right. No, it's true. Like, <laughs> there's just... no, you can't fake that. So, remember, this is 2011. No, this is 2012, sorry. So, the previous December, this is in February, and the December before that, Josh had changed the beneficiary to his life insurance to his brother, Mike, the one with the car. And the day after the hearing, February 12th, Josh wrote Mike a letter, and he named him the rights holder for any intellectual property pertaining to his life. So, he basically took over... Josh's assets. So then on February 12th, 2012, it was a Super Bowl Sunday, and Josh was running errands. And 11.19 a.m., he withdrew $7,000 from the Bank of America in $100 bills, and then he left $4,500 in his account. And then he then went to his storage unit, and he packed some toys and some books into some plastic bins, and he dropped them off at the Salvation Army. Next, he went to a recycling center where he dropped off a hymn book, a calculus book, a map of Utah, and a few books that had been given to him and Susan as wedding gifts. He then went to a gas station, and he filled up what? Is this after his penile? I don't think he had taken This is only two days after the hearing. He hadn't done the exam yet. I was wondering. But he knows that they're going to do it. He knows he has to do it. Sorry, so he, he, he then went to a gas station. He filled up two five-gallon gas cans with gasoline. 
and he took them home. And he made sure that he had the other supplies he would need, which would be a hatchet, two knives, and matches. Please tell me he does not kill these boys. So while Josh was running his errands, Chuck and Judy were wondering if they should keep Charlie and Braden home that day. It was a Sunday. Josh always wanted to do visitations on Sundays because he knew that they wouldn't be able to go to church that day and he didn't want them going to church. So Chuck and Judy were concerned that the most recent hearing had just pushed Josh to his limits and that he would do something bad. And the social worker was like, eh, I'm not concerned. And this isn't Elizabeth Griffin Hall, it's a different social worker. Um, so they, they, the visitation was like, no, we're going to do it. They did it anyway. So this is Sunday, February 5th, 2012. Is it the 5th or the 4th? No, it's the 4th. Elizabeth Griffin Hall picked Charlie and Brayden up for their visit with their dad. And she said that in the car, they were just like talking and giggling and laughing. And she like, she treated them like her own grandkids. And... They didn't know that Josh had just sent emails to his siblings and some close friends that said, I'm sorry, goodbye. So, Charlie and Brayden arrived with Elizabeth Griffin Hall at 11.57 a.m. They jumped, the kids jumped out of the car, and Elizabeth was two steps behind the boys when she heard Josh say, Charlie, I have a surprise for you, and Josh closed the door and he locked it, and then she heard one of the boys start crying. Now I want to play for you. The is nine- this the 911 call? Yes. Oh my gosh, I didn't no. realize that I know. was going to come into play. I know what happens. I remember this story now. It's all coming back. I don't back. know what happens. I know what happens. This is the 911 call. I want you to listen to it. Sweating. I know. How do you not know where you just drove? But I think I need help right away. He's on a very short lease with CSHS and CPS has been involved. And this is the craziest thing. He looked right at me and closed the door. Are you there? Yes, ma'am. I'm just waiting to know where you are. Okay. It's 8119 189th Street Court East, 2 hours, 98375. And I'd like to pull out of the driveway because I smell gasoline and he won't let me in. You want to pull out of the driveway because you smell gasoline, but he won't let I you? Smell, he, he won't let me in. He won't let you out of the driveway? He won't let me in the house. 
Who Who's house is it? Who's in the house and he won't let me in? It's a supervised visit. I understand. <laughs> Whose house is it? Josh Powell. Okay, and you don't live there, right? No, I don't. No, I'm contracted to the state to provide supervised visitation. I see. And, and who is there to exercise the visitation? I am. Uh, and the visit is with Josh Powell. And who's And he is the husband that I supervise. So you supervise and you're doing the visit? Yeah, you I supervise yourself? I supervise myself. I'm the supervisor here. Wait a minute. If it's a supervised visit, you can't supervise yourself. If you're the I visitor. do supervise myself. I'm the supervisor for the supervised visit. Okay, well, aren't you the one, make, aren't you the one making the visit? Or is there another person that you're supervising? No. There's, I'm the one that supervises. I pick up the kids with their grandparents. Okay, can I'm just pausing it for a second because what the heck? Oh my god! Okay, at first I was annoyed with her. No, for, for being like, "Hey, the kid is crying. I smell gasoline. He won't let me in," and not knowing the address. Like I would have been rushing to get the address. Yeah, well, she was, but this nine one one operator. Yeah, now the operator. I'm like, dude, just sitting there what the arguing hell? with her. Like, just send someone out. She just said there's kids in there. They're crying. You smell gasoline from outside the house. Yeah. Send someone in. Yeah. Okay. I'm oh, yeah. I don't again. care if it's a super, it's visitation or not. Go to the house. Yeah, he was more concerned with later. who. Yeah. He was more concerned with who was visiting who. Like, what are you talking about? Like, so stupid. Okay. I'm going to press play. I'm oh, so gosh. irritated. This makes me so angry. Okay. So you're supposed to be there to supervise Josh Powell's visit with the children. Yes. That's correct. And, how did, and he's the husband of missing Susan Powell. How did she, how, this is a high-profile case. How did he? How did he gain access to the children before you got there? Because I was one step in back of them. Okay, so they he went into the house and he locked you out. Yeah, he, okay. he shut the door right in my face. Like she no. just said. Your last name. My name is Elizabeth Griffin Hall. Yes. Does it matter? All I can think about is what's going on inside that house right now. I know. You don't want to um, this, this cell phone number is 360 990 What agency are you with? Foster Care Resource Network. I mean, it's been in there by now approximately. Um, Ten minutes. Ten minutes. She's been By the way, he still hasn't dispatched anybody. What the heck? He still oh has not God. dispatched anyone. Um, five ten, a hundred and fifty pounds. 
notice what he was wearing? No, I didn't notice what he was wearing. Is he alone? Or is anybody I don't know. I couldn't get in the house. Get this later. Yeah. This is a 10 minute 911 call. She has told you within the first 30 seconds that this is supposed to be a supervised, court-ordered, uh, what, well, just, what, just like, a meeting, visit, visitation, visit, yeah. thank you, and right away, he slams the door in your face, he won't let you in, the kid is now crying, and from the outside of the house, you hear gasoline. She has explained that in the first 30 seconds to one minute. Get all this information while the police are on their way. Like, just, what is up with this dispatcher? Who the heck cares? Just what wait. Your... And, wait until you hear what he tells her. Just Who wait. Who the heck cares what your license plate number is? Get someone uh, over there. Just wait until you hear what he tells okay. her. Sorry, I'm already mad. Seven five zero Z M H. Zebra Mary Henry. not like they have to respond to life-threatening emergencies i would have busted his ass the fact okay so that i mean obviously i don't agree at all but that that makes sense why he was taking his sweet sweet time getting all these non-important questions oh yeah he didn't think to it him, was important he didn't he didn't think it was important at all he's like yeah and then she even says he is the wife of a missing woman that is a high profile case like mm -hmm. How are there not a million red flags to the dispatcher? Like, oh, maybe I should do my job and get someone over there. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna press play again. Is that over? No. Oh my gosh. This is her second 911 call. Fire. Yeah, on the phone, yeah, oh, I missed that part. 
She's watching this house actively burn. And these people are all like, hold on a second. officer finally got there yeah um they sent the fire department to the wrong house oh my god they got god. the address wrong so at 12 16 p.m josh powell blew himself up in his house with his two sons inside at 12 22 p.m the first fire engine arrived after she had called at probably 1205 so it took them 20 minutes to get there after she initially called and said it was an emergency so the first fire engine arrived, but the house was burning so hot that they couldn't even do much to stop it. Once they got the fire out, the police officer, I can't even start with this. <sighs> the police officer that had played with Charlie and Brayden in the backyard and shown no. them love. And car- he carried the tiny bodies of Susan Powell's sons in his arms covered in sheets out of that house. I wonder how pissed he was at that dispatcher for not doing his dang job she told him i think their lives are in danger and he's like ma'am we only respond to life-threatening ones first someone will be there eventually i hope that haunts him for the rest of his life um i will say that he got reprimanded and after this elizabeth griffin hall she like took a leave of absence from work and she never went back she's like i can't 
Oh, you it. can tell. You can tell. In she was traumatized. She started out mad at the dispatcher with 911. Mm-hmm. Her voice sounds frustrated. By the time she called, you could tell that she knew what had happened when she's she calling knew. for the with the fire department. And the mm-hmm. fact that they're still like, how do you spell your name? What's oh, yeah. your phone number? Oh, yeah. I don't blame mm-hmm. her at all. That would be infuriating. Yeah. That'd be so, I'd be so pissed. Right. Okay, what did so, you say they had carried the little bodies out with what on them? Sheets. They were just covered in sheets because they were burned up. Sheets. Oh, 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 sheets. Okay, okay. So gotcha. Chuck Cox was in a meeting at church when a friend who had seen a Facebook post about what had happened, he called him and told him what, what, what he had heard. Chuck arrived at the smoldering house and he told the officers and saying, I'm... I need to know what happened. I'm their grandfather. I'm the grandfather. I have custody of the kids. I need to know what happened. The officer didn't even have to say the words. Chuck knew from the look on his face that his grandsons were gone. Um, Steve Powell at the time was an inmate at the Pierce County Jail awaiting his trial when he was told about the murder-suicide. He was placed on suicide watch even though he showed no emotion to what they told him. And within days, he was officially named a person of interest in Susan's disappearance. So in the aftermath of the fire, investigators found the roof was completely gone off the house. Insulation from the house was in the tops of 40-foot evergreen trees. All but one door was blown off the hinges, and Josh's minivan that was parked in the garage was burned to a crisp. The house had been completely burned down to the studs. Um, I'm going to read an excerpt again really quick it's kind of long but i thought it was important to get in there um now this is from the book if i can't have you so it says when the fire was out and the air quality tested investigators looked again through the window in the back of the house two small children were lying on what was left of a box spring and mattress with remnants of a red comforter or sleeping bag the coxes were told that the boys hands were touching the police were not sure if Josh had posed them, if it happened by accident, or if Charlie and Brayden reached for each other as they took their last breath. I'm having a really hard time with this right now. One of the boys, later determined to be Charlie, was on his left side, and the majority of his clothing was burned off. Debris was removed from Charlie's body using a hand trowel and a broom. He was photographed and turned over. The exposed part of his body was red, burned, and blistered. A lot of his skin had burned away, and his left arm was mostly gone. The back of his skull cap was missing. They placed Charlie in a white cloth, and then the sheriff's deputy tenderly lifted Charlie into his arms and carried him outside. When investigators returned to the room, they found a hatchet bent by heat and two knives on top of the mattress where Charlie had been. They were photographed and packed as evidence. Brayden was face down. With a lot of debris from the fire covering him, they removed debris from his body and took photographs. As they were turning him over, they saw chop marks on the back of his neck. Um, Like Charlie, Brayden was missing part of his skull. Brayden, too, was also placed in a white cloth and gently carried outside in the arms of the deputy. There was so much debris from the fire that at first they didn't see Josh's body. For a few minutes, they wondered if he had fled the house before it blew up, but eventually they discovered him lying on his back. His body, especially from his waist to his feet, 
was burned more than the bodies of Charlie and Brayden. His penis was exposed, and most of the skin on his legs was missing, with only bone and muscle tissue left. They wrapped his body in a cloth and used a stretcher to carry it outside. I'd have kicked it the whole way out, too. That was me, not the book. (laughs) After they had removed Josh's body, they found a melted five-gallon gasoline container where Josh's buttocks and upper thigh had been. There was a cell phone in the ashes, and among the ruins was a large birdcage, but no sign of the parrot. Charlie and Brayden died of smoke inhalation, but the chop injuries also contributed to their deaths. Charlie was struck on his neck, and Brayden was struck on both his head and his neck. They weren't even dead when the fire was started. No. Oh my no god. Determination, no determination was made about whether Josh had tried to kill the boys before he started the fire, or only meant to subdue them with the blows. He had scattered the gasoline from one of the five-gallon containers in various rooms of the house, the second one he sat on. The boys were still alive when the fire began, because soot was found in their lungs and esophagi. After striking the boys with the hatchet and laying them side by side on the mattress, Josh poured a mixture of gas and ethanol on them. Since they were still breathing, some went down their throats. I hate him so much. I'm literally at a loss for words. I don't know what to say. I know. You're not usually like that. As bad as it is to say, I wish he would have killed them first. So that they aren't literally burning to death. They just burned to death, yeah. Hmm. So at Charlie and Brayden's funeral, the mourners wore purple ribbons in remembrance of their mom, Susan. That was her favorite color. Charlie and Brayden were buried together in a tiny blue casket covered in orange daisies because orange was uh, Charlie's favorite color. Because of the animosity between the two families at the graveside service, the Powells and the Coxes had two separate services for the boys. The Coxes went first and then the Powells had their service. Chandler, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Coxes returned later to oversee the burial of their grandsons. In the burial plot, there is room for Susan's casket to be buried with her sons when she's finally found. I don't know why I'm smiling right now. I'm just, like, really stressed out. No, I, yeah. <laughs> like, the week after the funeral, the Coxes heard that the Powell family was planning to have Josh buried next to the two little boys that he had okay. just murdered. Oh, no. Chuck told Terry Powell that if they buried Josh next to his grandsons, he would move the boys and never tell the Powell family where they were buried. So the Powells instead cremated Josh, and he's back at Steve's house on his mantle right where he belongs. Chuck and Judy were hopeful that with Josh dead, Steve would finally tell them what they had been waiting to hear for so many years, but that dude sucks, and he exercised his right against self-incrimination and has never said a single word about Susan's disappearance. On May 9th of 2012, Steve Powell was found guilty of possession of child pornography and 14 counts of voyeurism. He was given a sentence of 30 months in prison and 36 months of probation, as well as sex offender treatment therapy. He also had to register as a sex offender. A year and a few days after his brother murdered his sons, Mike Powell threw himself off a seven-story parking garage and killed himself. Is he the one with the whole with the car. destroy my car? Yes. Oh my gosh. I was going to ask. I hope that mm-hmm. the detectives like questioned him more and found out more. Yep. Many people thought that he did this because he was in a heated legal battle with the Coxes over Susan and Josh's life insurance money. In reality, Mike had become the focus of the investigation into Susan's disappearance. And five days before Mike killed himself, 
Chuck Cox shared a tip that he had received a phone call from a relative of the Powell family, and this relative told Chuck that they rented a house on 180 acres in 2009 and that the entire Powell family had access to that land. So the police were planning a search on the land since they knew that Mike's car had broken down in Oregon near that area just before he took it to the salvage yard. So Susan's case was the largest missing persons investigation in United States history. Police and volunteers searched for Susan on foot, horseback, in the air, on and underwater. They looked in over 400 caves. They searched the desert, ponds, rock quarries, a swamp, a landfill. They investigated 800 tips in 11 different states and conducted over 400 interviews. The police never officially said that Josh killed Susan. They would only say that he was he was involved in her disappearance. The Cox family wonders why Josh was never arrested for what happened to Susan. They have always felt that there was enough evidence to prove that he did something to her and then disposed of her body. And the police believe Mike Powell was heavily involved in the aftermath of whatever it was that happened to Susan and that he most likely helped dispose of her body in his car, either right when it happened or afterwards. In July of 2018, Steve Powell died of a heart condition. Along with him, died all of his and Josh's secrets. People still search the mines and caves in the Utah desert, looking for Susan and hoping to bring her home to rest with Charlie and Brayden. But they've never searched that 180-acre? I don't think so. I can look That's that up. awful. Oh, my gosh. That is the case of Susan Powell. And... That is the case that haunts me. That's the one you want to know the most where she's been. I want to know everything. I did. I lived and breathed this case for the past three weeks. And Jeremy was like, you're starting to get a little bit obsessed. And I was like, you don't understand. You have no idea. That's worth getting a little bit obsessed. I mean, number one, I feel so bad for Susan's parents. Because mm-hmm. that Super Bowl Sunday, they felt like they should have kept those boys home. Now, my question is. They called yes, out the search. They did? No, they did search it. Oh. So they searched a farm in Salem, Oregon. It was called off after two days of searching, yielding nothing of interest. So my question was, I know that Chuck and his wife had custody. Could they have legally denied the right for Josh and the supervisor to have the visit with the boys? They could have, but they're probably too scared to, but they could have, and nothing would have happened to them unless uh, Josh were to do something. Which he he had no leg to stand on because he was being investigated. So Josh would have had to take them to court or something. I know because I've looked into this. (laughs) I go through this situation. I but I they probably could have that. done something or sorry, they could have kept him, but it would have had to, Josh would have had to take them back to court to do anything. And he probably would not have. The morning that they went to see Josh, they had a little cousin visiting their house and the boys didn't want to go. They're like, can we just stay here and play? And Judy was like, no, you've got to go see your dad. They'll be, he'll, he'll be here when you, your cousin will be here when you get back and you can play. Why was he sitting on a gas can? Do burn faster? Die faster than the boys? Yeah. He couldn't chop himself. He didn't have a gun. Yeah. 
Didn't you say it exploded? Like something exploded? The house yeah, exploded. Yeah, you kept saying the house exploded. But she I said mean, the house exploded. Yeah, I guess I'm just saying like if you pour one tank of gasoline around, like it'll catch fire, but not explode. Like yeah, I don't know. Maybe he did something to the car. I'm not really sure. But she said the house just exploded. Something more had to go on. If their car was burnt to a crisp, but their but their bodies weren't, like they could still tell that the comforter or sleeping bag yeah. was red. Like yeah, to me, I, I feel like he started the fire not in the bedroom. Yeah, what's the point of that? Like to me, that's so random. I don't know. And the fact not that he kids. chopped them up with a freaking hatchet. He wanted to watch them suffer, and their part of their skull was missing. I want to. That's that to me was the interesting part like usually that happens like when you shoot someone like for their skulls to be missing he cut their skulls open with a hatchet oh like what? yeah he chopped God. them and that didn't kill them that's so crazy i mean it probably it would have eventually but no brain injuries it's not always sudden like it's not always instantaneous you can live with a gunshot wound. You can stand up and walk when you've been shot in the head. Mm. Yeah. That poor supervisor. I feel bad for Susan. Yeah. I mean, looking down from heaven. Looking at what's dead. happening to her kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's definitely dead. But watching that and not being able to do anything yeah. about it. Yep. And that's the same thing with the visitation lady. She just had to sit there and nobody was any help to her. Yep. And she knew those kids were burning up inside. I'd have called 911 over and over again. I would have tried so hard to break through that door. That's I what I was thinking. Everything. I probably would have tried to drive my car through the house. Oh, that's smart. Would he have, you know, she would have been putting her life in danger too. Like Josh could have killed her. Oh, he probably would have. That's what mm-hmm. I was thinking. Like, as bad as it was to think, my mind was like, well, if he hadn't kicked you out, he probably would have killed you. Mm-hmm. Well, in her mind, she's probably thinking if I do anything else to take him off, it could send him over the edge and then he will kill the kids because she didn't know what his plan was. Like, who knew what he was going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, any final thoughts on that, guys? If you have anything else you want to say? It's heartbreaking but it also is infuriating and it once again for the millionth time i have lost all faith in our judicial system and just everything yeah i have no faith yeah that makes me so mad i feel like everything in this case could have been avoided yes definitely in my personal opinion with Josh being literally a person of interest in the disappearance of his own wife, those kids should not have been allowed to stay with him mm-hmm. until it was solved. Oh, I agree. They should have been taken away within a few days. Like once they realize that, oh, he's not just a normal suspect, but there are lots of red flags and lots of sketches. They should, those kids should have been taken away, given to Chuck and his wife where they didn't spend two years going through who knows what, and then possibly they could have gotten more out of them. You know, maybe if they were taken away right away after the incident, they would have opened up more to Chuck or the police about 
what they remember. Like, yeah, I know they were two and four, but making that comment about, oh, our mom was with us and she got left and didn't come back. Like there's such thing as a child's testimony. Like, I feel like they probably could have gotten more information out of the kids if they didn't spend two years being basically manipulated and brainwashed by all those awful people in that house. Well, not only that, but like, I feel like they have convicted people on a lot less than what they had Josh on. They had on Josh. I mean, just by the fact, just the idea of what was in his vehicle when they searched it. Uh Uh-huh. It's just, he wouldn't talk to police. He lied constantly. The neighbors said that he stayed up all night cleaning out his truck. Like, yeah. that's suspicious as heck. He's a little sus. Yeah, I just, and I know that they were trying to, like, have something concrete for when they charged him because you can only do it once. But I just feel like that so many other cases, they've convicted people on so much less than that. I know they wanted a body, but, the, and it is rare, but they, there are times where, People have been arrested for someone that they truly thought was dead. Like, not just missing, not possibly ran away, but like, we think this person is dead and we're going to charge you for their mm-hmm. murder, even though we don't have a body. It's happened before. Well, like, and it's the harder, fact, yeah, but. I and mean, the fact that, like, she, there, they found her blood droplets. And one of the guys that was investigating it was like, it wasn't like she was standing up and she cut herself and blood dropped. He's like, it was like she was coughing and she coughed and like it sprayed out. Beside a love seat that her friend said he was like power cleaning. Yeah. And her DNA was found in the spots that he had been cleaning. And they're like, well, yeah, it was, but it was her house. She lived there. That's where she sat. Okay, but there were coughing blood droplets right next to that. Like, I'm sorry, but that is just. Yeah. There was enough red flags and enough evidence that he was involved that they should have arrested him long before. Yeah, and her and his dad did something, too. I definitely his dad think. Knew. I think his brother helped and his dad knew. Yeah, I don't think Steve, the dad, knew. I mean, uh, helped or did anything, but mm-hmm. I definitely think he was. I definitely think he knew, might have given them advice or where to do it, where to bury her or something. The dad definitely knew. I feel like Josh, like, confessed to him after it had happened, and he, like, knew that. But I don't think he was, like... I definitely think he confessed. Yeah. But that case really upsets me. So now that it's all been laid out, what is your theory of what happened to Susan that night? Because here's I, my theory. Sorry, okay. Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? You can go first. Okay. So I think that he planned it because, oh, I forgot to tell you that like a day after she disappeared, he canceled her chiropractic appointment. He canceled all these appointments that she had like right after she was gone. Like she's I think, not coming back. Right. I think he planned it because he bought that carpet cleaner like a few weeks before he bought the circular saw a few weeks before um i honestly i think he planned it i think he he gave her something in her pancake to subdue her i think that after he got back from sledding and that lady giovanna wasn't there anymore i think he tried to strangle her and he she somehow got blood in her mouth like maybe he hit her 
I think she coughed it up. I think he wrapped her up. I think he strangled her, killed her. I think he put her in his car wrapped up in blankets because the kid said that she was in the trunk. I think he took her out somewhere camping because the kids said they did go camping. He took her somewhere in the mountains. I think he used the generator to use the circular saw to cut her up. I think he bleached the circular saw. I think he tried to burn her because he had matches and gasoline. I did and not I, even think about hooking the generator to the saw and cutting her up. Yeah, and I think that he buried her somewhere or threw her down a pit or something or had his brother. And I think, he, I think he hid her and then had his brother come get her and take her somewhere else. Okay, so she wasn't, I'm thinking cut up in tiny pieces. She couldn't have been cut up in too many tiny pieces that the brother could go get her and put her in his trunk. I think he dismembered her. I don't think she was like chopped up like Carry sushi. Carry her in pieces. Yes. Limbs rather than mm-hmm. a whole body. Yeah, oh. I think I think Mike got rid of her. And I think he didn't tell Josh where he put her. I was yes. going to say, as a man who never, ever cooked or prepared mm-hmm. food or did anything like that for her, and the friend, like, the fact that even Susan was like, oh, wow, he never does this. Mm-hmm. I, I think, he, yeah, I think he put something in her. Uh, I think he put something in her pancakes yeah. to either like knock her out or drug her or something. Yeah, because she got tired right after she ate and had to go sleep. And I think those boys saw everything. And I think that they, he killed them because they were getting old enough to where they could articulate what they had seen. Also, now they're living in a stable household mm-hmm. rather than like you know, if you're living in a crazy rambunctious house where all of y'all are doing all kinds of crazy stuff, then yeah, what happened to your mom probably isn't going to be in the forefront of your mind. But if you're yeah. in a stable, normal household where you're remembering then, things. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, um, Chuck said that Charlie would wake up with nightmares all the time, screaming at seven night terrors aren't supposed to last that long in kids. He wasn't having night terrors. He was dreaming about what happened to his mom. For sure. Or what was being done to him in that house. But who knows. Or both. Yeah. It's crazy Mm -hmm. to me though. Because even if Josh really thought that these kids were getting to the age of being able to tell people what happened. Why wouldn't he just kill himself? You know. He would never admit. He didn't ever want to admit it. And he was a narcissist. Yep. If like, he couldn't have those kids, nobody could have those kids. Yeah. Like well, Susan. I can't help but yep. think that he was so crazy that I'm sure he was like, we're just all going to go together as a family now. We're just all yeah. going to be dead together. We're just. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's probably how he felt about Susan. Like, it was probably getting to the point where she was finally at the breaking point and potentially going to leave him for real. And, like, the title of your book, If I Can't Have You. I bet he was so controlling and crazy that he's like, well, you're not leaving me. The only way you're leaving me is if I'm in control of how you leave me, a.k.a. I kill you. When she told him she was going to leave him, he said, over my dead body or yours, will you take those kids from me? Yeah. And he wasn't take. she wasn't going to take the kids because he cares about the kids, but it was going to be how he looked. Out of spite and out of, again, control. Like. You're not going to make me look like the parent who doesn't get 
custody or gets to see, like, I'm the one who's going to be controlling this. So if she was going to take those kids and leave, that was her taking her freedom and her control back. And he was not having that. Yep. He would have killed her whether she stayed with him or left him. Mm-hmm. You he think he was always out. planning on killing himself? No. I think he thought he would get away with it. And I think that once they found the stuff on his computer and, like, his parenting rights were in jeopardy, he, he was losing control of the situation. Because as, mm-hmm. as long as he had those kids, he was in control. They took the kids, he lost control of the situation, and he couldn't handle that. Because he was controlling. I think after that last court where he thought he was going to go home with mm-hmm. his kids, things were going to, he was going to be back to being in control. Yeah. I think it would have been a different story. Yeah. But when they did not give him his kids and said, oh, by the way, we're also going to start subjecting you to these tests to prove that you're not a pedophile and blah, blah, blah. Like, mm-hmm. I think that, I think that probably made him realize like, oh crap, I'm in trouble well i think it was chuck said that during like right before that hearing started they his lawyer had told he was chuck was sitting in the audience and he and shoot josh's lawyer went up to josh to tell him hey you can't take the kids home today because of this this and this they said that josh let out this scream like a wild animal in the court in the courtroom in front of the judge in front of everybody. I wonder when they were going to do those tests. Like, I wonder. Well, it, it had only been two days since the hearing, so I bet within the week. I bet it was going to be soon. That's probably why he did it so quickly. Yeah. It's like, I'm not going to go yeah. do these tests and possibly have even more. All of my secrets. Yeah. Yeah. His most, you know disgusting secrets yeah and i think it was chuck or it was like detective maxwell or somebody said that him killing himself and the kids that was his confession and the fact that he he the the fact that he emailed everybody and said i'm sorry goodbye that was his confession without actually having to confess because he he was never he was never going to confess he was never going to confess that he killed her he had to be in control Yep. He had to be the one looking like he was on top. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's like awful. Yeah. So it was really heavy. But, I mean, so good, Ellen. Great job. I mean, obviously not good. The story is horrible. But I'd never really heard about it. I never really knew the details of it. So now you do. Yeah, I really recommend everybody reading this book because there's even more detail that I didn't even I couldn't even put in because there was just so much so read this book it's called if I can't have you it's by Greg Olson and Rebecca Morris anyway thanks for listening guys yeah thank you for all your hard work Ellen these last few weeks doing that I enjoyed it I got really um um sucked in I got really obsessive Jeremy was like you know I really think you should have you should have been like a what did he say an investigative journalist. I was like, yeah, but you would never see me. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. But how do you not get invested and obsessed with stuff like that? Though, like, yeah. Because you read that and you become a part of It becomes of part story. of you. Yeah, you have yeah. to. You have to figure it out. 
You want to know. You want to yeah. know what happened. I just like to dig for stuff. I'm like, I got to find out. I got to know. And that's why it frustrates me that there are no conclusive, concrete answers to this because I have to know. So. Maybe one day we'll know. Yep. Well, everybody, next week is Chandler's week. I don't, by the look on her face, she has not remembered that. Nope. So, I don't remember now, though. Yep. So we are going to hear from Chandler next week. And we hope you tune in. And we're thankful you're here. Thanks, guys.